my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. What's up? This your boy, Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. You're listening to Math & Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. Hi, I'm Bob Pittman, and welcome to this special episode of Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. When we named this podcast, we never dreamed that frontiers might be something like this, or the definition of marketing could be stretched so much. Today, we're going to explore both with someone who is on the front lines of keeping America functioning during this work-from-home and shelter-in-place time. He's the chairman and CEO of Verizon, Hans Vestberg. Before we dig into who Hans is, let me tell you a little about what his company's doing. It starts with meeting the extraordinary demand that's being put on the company. Think about these numbers. As of March 27th, which was the last numbers I could find, the Verizon network is seeing some 800 million calls a day. That's double what is usually the busiest day of the year, Mother's Day. Double. 
9 billion texts a day. That's equivalent to New Year's Eve, except now it's every day. An increase in gaming by 107%, and even a 50% increase in VPN access. That's for people working from home who are accessing their company's servers. In addition to keeping up with the extraordinary demand, Verizon has also added special and much-needed services, like technology and connectivity solutions for those people serving us during this pandemic. Those are our first responders, public health officials and professionals, and federal, state, and local governments. They're giving these folks priority access to its network. The Verizon response team has set up mobile cell sites, Wi-Fi hotspots, free charging stations, and other solutions to boost performance and meet these unusual needs. Verizon has even provided connectivity for the USNS Comfort. That's the thousand-bed Navy hospital ship docked in New York Harbor. They've done so much more, too, waiving late fees until May 13th, important moves with their own workforce, and some really high-profile programs that set the right tone in this time of need. We're going to dig into all this impressive response as well and how they managed to do it and how their culture and strategies had them so well prepared. But first, hi, Hans, and welcome. Hi, Bob. Hans, let me tell folks a little bit about you before we get started. Hans grew up in a small city in Sweden's east coast. His dad was a police officer. His mom worked at the Swedish tax agency. His older brother even became a police officer as well in Stockholm. Hans has been collecting watches, began that as a teenager, and was a serious handball player. He even took time off from college to play handball full time. He worked as a nightclub janitor and eventually managed the club. He started as an accountant but moved into management at Ericsson, literally around the world. China, Chile, Argentina, Brazil, Mexico were among the stops. He rose to be the CEO of Ericsson. He joined Verizon as CTO and became CEO in 2018. He is a man who makes it a point to do good. In between Ericsson and Verizon, he worked for the UN and other nonprofit efforts. And today he makes sure his company has a higher purpose than just its profits. We're doing this interview not in our studios, but from home via our phones. And in my case, Verizon. Hans, we always get started on math and magic with a you in 60 seconds opening. So here we go. You ready? Yep. Do you prefer early riser or night owl? Early riser. Stockholm or New York? Ooh, New York. Santa Lucia or Midsummer? Midsummer, for sure. Fantastic. Running or skiing? Oh, that's so hard. Both. Beach or mountains? Mountains. Handball or business? Uh, Handball. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Apple or Android? Both. Call or text? Call. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Pizza or tacos? Oh, tacos. Volvo or Saab? Saab. Cats or dogs? None. Lady Gaga or Roxette? Roxette. It's about to get harder. You ready? Smartest person you know? A lot of people working in the restaurant are extremely smart. Childhood hero? My father. Favorite dish to cook? Risotto. Favorite place you've lived? Brazil. Favorite food from your childhood? Meatballs. Favorite beverage? Non-alcoholic beer. Finally, which language do you dream in? English, I think. Okay, let's jump in. The first time I was introduced to you was at the Global Citizen Festival in Central Park. You had just come off stage, and I remember thinking to myself, This is not who I would expect to be the CEO of Verizon. You were the opposite of stodgy. Until that point, you've begun this dramatic transformation of Verizon, certainly making it 
not stodgy. Was that a defined plan or was that a reflection of who you are? I think it was both as I came into Verizon. I spent a lot of time to meet the managers, talk to the customers. I actually did almost 260 interviews one-on-one with the key directors at the company. One of the thoughts I had, of course, was to see that we introduced the four stakeholders in all our strategy, meaning employees, shareholders, customers, and society and everything we do. That was not a difficult introduction of that strategy. Many of the managers and leaders of Verizon thought that was absolutely the right way to do it. So it was a plan that I had from the beginning, but I bounced it around with hundreds of people to see that I had the support for doing it. What are your key corporate values and how have you used them to create this new vital entrepreneurial culture at Verizon? When you come into a company where you never worked before and had no history, you need to create a framework. So the framework I created was what do you want to preserve? What do you want to strengthen? And what do you want to excel and fortify? So, of course, there was a lot of things we want to preserve. A lot of our core values in the company. We rise to location of crisis. We think of each other, respect each other. And also our operation excellence. All those fantastic things we want to preserve in our culture. But there were things we wanted to change because times are changing. So that was the framework I set up for the organization to work through in order to create a new strategy and a new purpose and where we're going. So how did these values and this new culture prepare the company to respond to this COVID-19 pandemic? Verizon, unfortunately, have a lot of crisis management. The last three years I've been in the company, I'm not sure how many natural disasters we've already had with the hurricanes, with tornadoes and the devastation. And we always need to rise to that occasion because networks has to come up. So we have already a set model for how we work in crisis. Right now in COVID-19, we're on the highest level of the crisis, meaning that we meet every morning between eight and nine with the crisis management team. We take all the decisions on the crisis based on the last 24 hours of facts we get from all around the world and on different constituencies. So that's how we work for the last five weeks. Are you getting any sleep at all? I get sleep, you know, even I need to recover. My work, of course, is to give energy and reassurance to customers, employees and the financial markets. Ultimately, my job is to give that empowerment and that energy to an organization that are working extremely hard in these times. What percentage of your workforce is working from home now? Of the 135,000 employees, 115,000 people are working from home. And we have converted almost 30,000 employees' work that they were doing in the field to do it from home. So we have retrained them for other tasks. So an enormous transformation of a company. But we also need to understand we balance here because we still have some 20,000 people being in the field, maintaining network, upgrading network. as well as we have 30% of our stores open for critical maintenance of equipment or supply because this country relies on the connectivity. Without connectivity, a lot of the things which are the most critical in the country wouldn't work today. Let me jump to sort of you and how you did this. You didn't grow up at Verizon, and more important, you didn't grow up in the U.S., and English was not even your first language. So how has it played to your favor to be an outsider? I have lived in six or seven different countries. I have learned to operate in four or five different languages. I have worked on a leadership style, which is called adaptive leadership, meaning that I still have my core values, but I also need to adapt on the environment around me. 
But ultimately, with my position today, I need to spend time on the future, how to move this company forward. I'm doing that every day. Leadership is a profession. You can be an excellent accountant or an engineer or technician or a marketeer, and you spend time to fortify you every day. You need to do the same as a leader. So in addition to the leadership, you had a successful career at Ericsson before Verizon, and you were the CTO of Verizon before becoming CEO. How do you think about technology and where it fits in the hierarchy of needs and priorities at Verizon? I spent also a lot of time with the United Nations some 10, 15 years back. I learned very early on that if you get connected, you're actually part of our society. And then I engaged in the Millennium Development Goals. I learned that the mobility, the broadband and the cloud are so important to see that everyone on this planet had the same chance. So Google, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, all stress technology. How is your use of technology different from theirs? We're in different places. I would be in mobility and broadband, and they would be in the cloud. That combination can actually make remote healthcare, it can give information. I think that combination is the 21st century's infrastructure, and people can actually access it to a fair price or an efficient cost point. So three big telcos in the U.S., but all with a different plan. How would you articulate the differences in your strategy from the others? Our strategy is based on a network of service. We believe we have the best network, confirmed by many third parties' measurements. Not only that, we think we have the best distribution. We have the most consumers. We have 98% of the Fortune 500 enterprises that we serve. We have small and medium enterprises with government and federal organizations. So I would say distribution, network, and our brand. And on top of that, we build partnerships. So we build some partnerships. For example, we have exclusive with Disney Plus, which is very well known. With Apple Music, which is exclusive. We just made one where we do 5G mobile edge cloud computing with Amazon, which is exclusive. So we see that we come with our assets and we really double down on those assets. And then we, together with partners, deliver new experience and new solutions. That has been our strategy and that's very different from our competitors. So this podcast looks at the world and business through the prism of marketing. You've got a team of amazing marketers at Verizon, and you talked about the size of the organization. For an organization of your size, it's pretty amazing. You seem to be able to get everyone pulling together in the same direction. How do you get product, advertising, customer service, retail stores all aligned so well? So we created something called cultural operating system very early on when I came in. And the cultural operating system has four different pillars. One is the purpose of the company. One is the external values. The third one is the internal values, our core values, and then our leadership philosophies. We decided that everyone inside Verizon is operating under that operating cultural system, regardless if the, it's my great technicians actually working in the streets of New York or my journalists at Huffington Post. All are operating on these core beliefs. When you see our marketing, our external values is trust and innovation. And that doesn't matter where you work in organization, which country or which product. We have many brands and many different products, but we decided we need to have the same look and feel regardless how you touch Verizon. As an enterprise customer, a consumer, or an international customer in Europe, or if it's an internet customer touching Yahoo, shouldn't be a different for us. That operating culture system was a very important piece. 
Last year we trained over 25,000 leaders and employees in this model, and this year we're planning to train all employees of the company in this system. So what kind of pushback did you get from trying to pull the organization together like that? You always get pushed back. The toughest thing is that when you have such a large organization with 135,000 employees as we have and, and spread across the globe, this, of course, to reach each and every one in the organization. So what we did very early on, we started to measure the pulse in the organization quarterly. The first pulse survey we made in the organization, 50% of the employees responded. And the reason was that nobody believed they would do something with it. The last one we did, we had over almost 90% of our employees responding to it, 88%, I think. So we see that we get the response from them because it's a two-way street with the employees and the leaders. The leaders need to take the responsibility, but the employees need to get feedback. As you are entering this work-from-home environment, how have you seen productivity go? Up, down? So far, I think that the first week we lost a little bit because many people or employees tried to set up their home office. A lot of things were happening at home. And then if you're a parent, you know, the children were home, etc. So, of course, in the beginning, it was a little bit clunkier. But I would say right now we see a really good output from our organization. In some cases, we actually increased our efficiency. We have innovated new services. Right now, for example, our field technicians are not going into homes to install the broadband. But we innovated right now, so we can actually do it not going into the home. We have done a totally new way in our retail stores, how we can serve with social distancing. So you also see innovation that is creating more productivity. And on top of that, this is such an unheard time also. We decided that every noon at 12 o'clock, we have webcasts for all our employees. For 30 minutes, we talk about everything. Somewhere between 40 to 60,000 of our employees attending that webcast. Do you think it's going to change the way you work when you come out of this? Have you learned something about working that will become permanent? Yes, I think so. Whatever we can call new normal will be something different. It depends how long and how deep this impact will be, but it clearly we're going to see new patterns. We have divided into three steps. You have one step, which is the needed crisis that we're facing right now. Then you have the phase in between when you start coming back, and then you have the new normal. I think the longer we're going to hang on phase one and two, the more impacts we're going to have on phase three. But I think that more online ordering, uh, things like having convenience right now that wasn't convenient before, those type of things will change forever. I also think that the workforce will think different before working from home. We as employers need to think about how do we deal with that in the future. Before COVID-19, Verizon, through its marketing, had already done a great job of highlighting its tie to first responders. And then this big thing hits. How did you deliver that promise we had already our commitments, as I said, to the first responders and seeing that they have priority network. We have been in so many of these crises because of natural disasters. So for us to ramp this up quickly and to see that we support the most vulnerable in our society, we took decisions not only for first responders and hospitals, but small and medium businesses and the residential broadband users. We increased the data for the meter, the wireless customers. So all came fairly naturally in the process as you have prepared yourself for these type of things. As long as you have an agenda where you think about the customers and the network, you think about your employees and you think what you're doing in society, you see that you get the balance in your decision making every day. It's a time when you don't have a playbook. Many people say they have been in crisis before, your telecom crisis or the banking crisis. 
But you can compare to this. This is a crisis of health, which nobody ever has been facing before. So it's so many new decisions and so many new things you need to think about every day. So you don't have a playbook. You really need to have a great team with a lot of diversity of thoughts in it in order to take the right decisions every day. You know, in our business, we respond to disasters. We're on the front lines getting communications to people. But it's almost always a tornado hits a town, a flood, a hurricane. But to have it all across the country at one time, was your response strategy and your team set up so that you could do it everywhere? Or was it an idea that you were really going to be hitting different parts at different times that you were never going to have this kind of load nationwide? No, it was planned like that, even though with those enormous numbers that you alluded to in the beginning with growth on basically every application and in different places, the network was built for that. It was built robust. We spend between 17 to 18 billion US dollars a year on a network. Beginning of the coronavirus, when that started, we decided to increase our capital expenditures for this year, 17.5 billion US dollars to 18.5 billion US dollars, because we wanted to be sure that we continue to have a super robust network because this has to work. But we also thought it was a good idea. I must say, as an outsider looking in, it's very impressive. You've got a great marketing team and a great CMO, and you've always been on top of issues of importance to your consumer base. And now you've got one, Pay It Forward, designed to raise money in this time of need and create a strong sense of community. How did that come about and how did that happen so quickly? When we sit down every morning then and think about what we stand for and how we keep up the network, very early on, we thought about the small and medium businesses that were shut down because of the pandemic and how we want to support them. Of course, the first one we thought about, let's waive all our fees and don't disconnect anyone. But we said that, why don't we rally even more? And then our marketing team together, our business team, decided to do something called Pay It Forward. Pay It Forward, the three of your small and local businesses that you like and see that you're supporting them with a gift card or your order home or something like that. And we did that by having some sort of entertainment every Tuesday and Thursday. The last one we had was viewed by 4.3 million people live. The amount of small businesses being included in it and being paid forward is just enormous. We do it on every platform you can think about. And now we're getting more partners saying, hey, we want to join. We bring our fan base or we bring our customer base to it as well. So this is growing. But again, it's based on our core values. It's based on our operating culture system. Do you build these through some kind of regular brainstorming sessions during a crisis like this? As I said, we meet every morning between 8 and 9, and we talk through these type of things. And we take seven decisions every morning on how to do this. But it's not only on doing right for society, it's all setting up on the new safety rules. How do we work from home? What do we do for our customers? What network issues do we have? Then our crisis management team basically go away and work with that. And the rest of my leadership team, they work business usual. We don't know how long this will go. And it's extremely important these times that you continue to have business usual and drive the company forward. Just hold on a second because we've got so much more to talk about. We'll be back after a quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, 
I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Welcome back to Math and Magic. Let's jump to 5G. You've called it the fourth industrial revolution. Can you talk about what you talk about, the two currencies of 4G and the eight currencies of 5G? I've been part of the 5G evolution since 2009, where the first thoughts were coming out. And the first thoughts was that, hey, all wireless technologies had speed and throughput as the two currencies, meaning you took your phone and you spoke on it, and ultimately today for your phone, uh, you can actually stream Netflix or anything on it. When the thoughts came up on 5G was that, hey, how do we do this as a huge impact for our society, for industries, that they can use the wireless to transform their businesses? And thereby, we came up with eight capabilities. We call them the eight currencies. So that's much more than throughput and speed. It's also extremely low latency. It's better lifetime. It's how quickly you can have a new service. Or it could actually be at what speed can you keep a signal up? Just an example. One of the currencies is that in 5G, you can carry the mobile signal up to 500 kilometers per hour. 
there's no car that's going to run 500 kilometers per hour, but it's going to be drones going like that, high-speed trains. And if you want the signal to keep up, you need the 5G signal because the 4G signal would probably only uh, cover you up to 200 kilometers per hour. After that, you have more connection. So a lot of the things thought through are for that. And, and of course, latency is one of the most critical when you use cloud infrastructure, meaning how long it takes to ping to a database or to the internet and come back. And we are now designing our 5G network, 5G mobile edge compute with latency down to 10, 15 milliseconds. And in a 4G network is 100 maybe. So suddenly you can actually do processing things at the edge of the network, which you could never have done before. So that's the eight currencies compared to previous Gs, as we say. You've been early, as you pointed out, on 5G, and you've invested a lot of money. How are you reordering the priorities of Verizon to drive 5G hard and fast? One of the earliest decisions we did together when I can be, we built one network. So we have one network called the Verizon Intelligent Edge Network. You can think about the simple, from the data center to the edge of the network, everything is common. All the equipment is common. Then at the edge, you decide what type of access you have. You can have a fiber to the home, you can have 4G, you can have 5G, 3G, or any other connectivity. That was fundamental because that means that we can actually build a network and then we do the decisions at the edge on the different type of use cases we are creating for 5G, for example. So that's how we have organized. And then we have also organized all our governance according to that. So let me take a little pause from today and go back in time to get a context on you. You grew up on the east coast of Sweden, and that's pretty far from cosmopolitan Stockholm. How would you paint the picture of life then when you were growing up? Very small city. Everybody knew each other. My father was a police officer. My grandfather was a police officer. My mother worked at IRS. All my life, I had only one goal, and that was to be great in sports. My father supported me. He was my team handball coach from when I was five years old until I was 22. He followed me all my way. So I spent all my time thinking about how to be better in sports. <laughs> but then I saw that I had somewhat more brighter career in business than in sports. Your parents both work for the government, and here you are making your mark in private business, obviously in a big way as a capitalist. How did your path diverge so much from your parents, and how were you so comfortable in this new life? Of course, I had my ideas to be a police officer as well. My brother was a police officer, and his whole family as well. So the whole family, we have been public servants. It just was coincidence, and I actually took a gap year in the middle of my university studies because I wanted to really go hard for the team handball. But as I had so much energy, I asked the team, maybe you can fix a job in the morning for me, so I have something to do. And they asked me, where do you want to work? I said, I want to work at Ericsson. They helped me to get some sort of internship in the mornings at Ericsson. I like to be around in these type of environments. And one thing led to another. And some years later, I went to China on my first international assignment. And I basically had never left Sweden without my parents the first time I went to China. How old were you when you went to China? 25, because I played handball as long as I could. But then when I saw that I couldn't really make it, I was probably 25, 26 when I went to China. I stayed there for some six to nine months in the early 90s and then came back. And then I went to Argentina and then up to Brazil and Mexico. So 
it was a long journey with many different countries over 10, 15 year period. Did you know the languages before you went to the countries or did you just have an ear for picking up languages? I didn't know the languages when I came there and I don't have an ear for it, but I picked them up. I operated in Spanish countries and I operated in Portuguese when I lived in Brazil. I never picked up Chinese. I tried actually, but I didn't. But uh, Portuguese and Spanish would be fluent. So as you got into business, what do you think handball taught you about business? Handball is a European, now a global sport, but it's a team sport. I learned that I was an important team player. I could be captain for the team. I could uh, support the team members in different uh, times. If it was a tough game or something, I knew the guy to the left of me. If I screamed a lot of it, on him, he would play better. The guy to the right, if I screamed a lot of on him, he would play worse, you know. So it was more about me start learning. And I think that's where I brought adaptive leadership in my thinking when I became a leader. You had this long career at Ericsson. You were working your way up. At what point did you begin to think you might have a shot at being the CEO? I worked 28 years at Ericsson. I was in the executive board in 2003. I was a little bit over 40, I guess. Yes, I was around in the executive environment and the board for quite a long time. So, But it was never a plan or a target. I wanted to do more. I like to do more and embrace more things. And then it came natural that one day they asked me to be the CEO. When I left Ericsson, I said also that I've done everything I dreamt of. Now I want to work with the UN. I was the chairman of the Swedish Olympic Committee, and I wanted to give back to those two nonprofit organizations. But when Verizon came and asked, and I knew that 5G was knocking on the door, and I should be able to be part of the journey to launch 5G. We were first in the world with a 5G home, which is one solution. We were first in the U.S. with a 5G mobility and a smartphone on 5G. And we launched first in the world the 5G mobile edge compute. So for me, that has been a journey to be part of, and that was too big to react. At Ericsson, your mark again was transformation. You moved the company from handsets to network infrastructure and jumped into 5G, I think. And the company now provides about a third of the world's infrastructure for 2G, 3G, 4G. So it worked. That's a pretty bold step to transform a company that much. Why did you do it? What did you see? I come into work every day and I think about, okay, today I finally going to do something great. And then uh, I have that coming from sports, you know, constantly pushing yourself. And I think it comes from that, that you want to do better for all the stakeholders every day. And then you need to push yourself. And I think that was the same in Ericsson, the same in Verizon for me. It's so different. It's just how I was brought up. I don't think I can do it in another way. Before we leave Ericsson, one more question. I think you were the first person to head the company who was not an engineer. How did that give you a different focus as CEO? Everyone has different competencies. I was an accountant and I wanted to, of course, then have good technicians around me. If you know yourself good enough, you know what you're good at and what you're bad at. And then you formulate a team around it that's going to support you. So it's no different than I'm also the first non-American running Verizon. I don't think it's a big issue. You should be comfortable enough having people that are diverse than you, that is better and smarter than you. And then your job is to lead them and empower them. You have an incredibly stressful, long-hour job. How do you think about balancing the family needs with the pressures of your work schedule, life-family balance? I have a spreadsheet how I spend every working hour in order to see that I spend my time on the right things when I do business. 
I do a forecast in advance. I actually see that I send off time that I know that I'm going to be with my family. The same goes for my own life balance. I clearly measure every time I'm exercising because I need to keep that up because that's my way to getting energy. So for me, it's all about structure. If I have structure, I know that I'm going to have the right time for the different individuals, for my business, for my family, for my self-development. And that's how I do it. If you could, what advice would you give your 21-year-old self? <laughs> that was so ambitious when I was at that age, so I didn't see people around me. Probably I would give an advice to take a little bit slower, listening to people around you. You've done a lot of good right now through this crisis, and you're still doing it. We're not through it, and as you point out, we're not sure what the lasting impact of it's going to be. But what have you learned about your company and its people as a result of this crisis? I learned that the company has a very strong culture, a very big desire to do good and actually go the extra to support customers and ready to put in the hours and the resources and the efforts to do it. And I knew it before, but when you see this type of crisis, you see people and organizations rise. And I have to say I'm extremely proud of the employees of Horizon raising in this occasion and doing the right things that you're supposed to do when you're a company of our size and the importance that we are playing in this society. How do you see the Verizon brand, what it should mean to the consumer, and how far along you are in that journey of making sure it's where you want it to be? We have come some way, but we're not finished. We won't, of course, be known as being a trusted partner. You should trust our network, you should trust what we're doing, you should trust us. That's so important in today's world. And the other is we're innovative. We're coming in new solutions that you can live and work differently if you're an enterprise or if you're an internet customer trust or if you're a consumer. We are on a journey on that. We have come quite far because we have been very consistent what we want to do. But we have more to do. And, and I think that when 5G comes, it will be another opportunity for us to prove that trust and innovation really matters to our customers. We end each episode of Math & Magic with a shout-out to both core disciplines of marketing and business, the analytics and the creativity. You've seen a lot. You've seen it around the world. Who would you give the nod to as the best person you know of on the analytics side, the math person? Meeting a lot of technicians that have been 4G and 5G, scratching the surface and understand how complex it is that you can have a mobile phone in your hand and sending through the airwaves data, that's the real heroes in my world, that they were able to transform this to wireless industry. And there's no names there. There are hundreds of people that have done enormous work. We'll take the category. So on the creative side, who's the magician? With my marketing team, they have shown me things that I didn't know about. And I think that the marketing team over Horizon has done a great job. Hans, the work you're doing today to help us all through this crisis is inspiring and I must say appreciated by us all. And the work you're doing to transform Verizon is nothing short of brilliant. Congratulations and thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. Here are a few things I picked up in my conversation with Hans. One, as Hans says, leadership is a profession. Just like engineers or marketers, good leaders need training and support to excel at their jobs. Two, be ready for a crisis. Even though this pandemic is unprecedented, Verizon has been able to handle the extreme pressure on its network because it had a flexible plan and an experienced crisis management team. Three, maintain your assets and invest in innovation. 
Verizon puts a tremendous amount of effort into supporting its existing network. But with 5G, Verizon is also investing in the company's future. This two-pronged strategy gives Verizon an impressive competitive advantage. Four, listen to your employees. When you have an organization as large as Verizon, you need consistent ways to hear from your employees on what's working and what's not working. For Hans, it helps to maintain the best parts of Verizon's culture while continuing to push the company forward. Thanks for listening. I'm Bob Pittman. That's it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to Math and Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. The show is hosted by Bob Pittman. Special thanks to Sue Schillinger for booking and wrangling our wonderful talent, which is no small feat. Nikki Etor for pulling research, Bill Plax and Michael Azar for their recording help, our editor Ryan Murdoch, and of course, Gail, Raul, Eric, Angel, Noel, Mango, and everyone who helped bring this show to your ears. Until next time. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.